Make your plans now to join us for the G3 National Conference, September 30th through October 2nd, as we'll gather for Christian fellowship and the worship of God through song and the preached word. Our theme for the 2021 conference will be centered on biblical Christology. You can find registration details at g3men.org. Get 15% off by mentioning code G3BAR. That's G3BAR. Make your plans now to join us for the G3 National Conference, September 30th through October 2nd, as we'll gather for Christian fellowship and the worship of God through song and the preached word. Our theme for the 2021 conference will be centered on biblical Christology. You can find registration details at g3men.org. Get 15% off by mentioning code G3BAR. That's G3BAR. Those of us who claim Christ, our authority is the Scripture. For those who don't claim Christ or who claim another, I'd like for them to, we challenge them to explain a standard of truth apart from Scripture. Uh, ex- explain the nature of good and evil apart, apart from the Scripture. Um, that there, there's, you, you have no context, there's no justification for it except for the whims of, of, men, of, you know, of men. And so, man, we, we stand upon the foundation of the Scripture, sola scriptura, Scripture alone, man. Doctrine, yeah, sola scriptura, scripture alone. That means scripture alone. What's your eternal situation for the age of creation? For he laid the foundation. Was the plan for expiation? Christ became propitiation, meaning he switched his places on the cross for our disgraces. In the crowd, he saw our faces. Welcome everybody to the bar. It's your boy Dwayne, and we are in the building. Excited once again. Uh, and I just have to start this conversation off. Uh, uh, I want to shout out my guest today, man. This guy's been extra, extra patient with me. Uh, God bless you. Brother, before I introduce your name, man, I just want to put that out there on the airways, man, let you know that we love you. But <laughs> I have on it's with me good. today, brother Jamar Tisby, sir. How are you? I'm doing well, man. It's good to good to finally sit down and, and be able to have this conversation with you. Good deal, man. Good deal. We're we're excited. We've been anticipating this for for quite a while, and me and him been trying to coordinate, get this together, and uh, we're just so happy to to have it, you know, come to pass, man. For those that don't know, because my show I say is for the new reformed people, people that are new to it, because I'm sort of new to it. For those that don't know who you are, sir, kind of give an introduction, a little, you know, uh, who you are, and and your wife, kids, whatever, family. And, uh, and yeah, what, yeah. what you doing? Well, uh, I think the you know the most obvious thing is sort of what I do in terms of ministry. I'm the president and co-founder of the Reformed African American Network, and we have a website, raanetwork.org, randnetwork.org. I'm also the co-host of a podcast called Pass the Mic, M-I-C, and um, you can find links to that on the website as well. Uh, so basically through those ministries, uh, it's kind of similar to you. What I try to do is, um, with the team and I try to do is, is, uh, just introduce not only reformed theology from a theological perspective, but really apply reformed theology to, um, current issues and contexts that particularly pertain to African Americans. So that'll be everything from, 
uh, Hair and the Black Woman was a was an early article that we had talking about images of beauty and um, the, the image of God to, you know, issues with the black family, the black church, all those kinds of things that, you know, other outlets may touch on, but really because they're predominantly white, they don't get a whole bunch of airtime on other blog sites or podcasts or, or what have you. Wow, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I actually, uh, uh, Pastor Mike is one of my, one of my go-to subscribes, you know, so we'll definitely put a link to, to that. Um, for those that don't know about the, I guess, the Reform African American Network, what kind of is it? Where did it start? Cause, uh, you say you're the co-founder. I, I think it's, uh, Phil Holmes. Is he still part of it? Talk to us about that a little bit. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, 2016, we celebrated our fifth anniversary on Reformation Day, otherwise known as Halloween for some, <laughs> October 31st. Um, and man, it was really the way it got started was, was just very informal. I was invited up to a small gathering of African American students, uh, at, in Reformed seminaries. And so it wasn't about, about you know, eight or ten of us that gathered um, for a weekend in Chattanooga at New City Fellowship, which is a Presbyterian church, and it was multi-ethnic. And so um, Y. Plummer, who's the head of the African American ministry of the Presbyterian Church in America, PCA, he invited us up there to say, hey, you know, there are other sort of culturally— um, relevant ways to to do reformed theology and reformed churches. So he invited us there. Um, there were all these folks that I had never met before, but it felt like a family reunion. Mm -hmm. um, we just had so much in common, not only theologically, but culturally. On the way back from that trip, I was like, man, wouldn't it be great if there was some way to kind of keep this fellowship going? And from there, that sort of um, morphed into the idea of Reformed African American Network as a way to sort of create a virtual community because the reality is that if you are African American or really any other racial or ethnic minority, um, there are Reformed folks out there, but we're few and far between. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're not generally clustered in the same area, so sometimes it can feel like uh, hey, I'm the only one. Is there anybody else out here who believes these things, who understands where I'm coming from? And so that's what we're trying to do is say, yes, we are out here. Um, let's gather together. Let's uh, support one another. Let's also flesh out the ideas of Reformed theology in different contexts because uh, the theology we've inherited from Europe and from North America, it's not the final word. Uh, mm -hmm. There's there's more theology to be done. Mm. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I actually, um, you know, in my journey, um, you guys, well, I stumbled across you guys' website because I was in the same, you know, boat feeling like I was on that island, you know, uh, plenty of yeah. reformed people online. I mean, Facebook, you know, is definitely, I feel like, ah, I'm at home, you know, but uh, definitely... Yeah. Uh, not that many, like I said, in clusters. And one experience that I had, um, is, you know, I used to walk across the street to, before, before I go to work, I walk across the street to a uh, morning Bible study, you know, at a Presbyterian church. And you know, uh -huh. I was the only black guy in there. So, <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. But they love yeah. me, man. That was that was a, a really good experience, man. So yeah, I, I definitely can can see that. You know, those make sure if you haven't checked it out, we'll definitely have it in the uh, in the description, the website to it. Because you guys, you you guys do what all is on the website. I know one thing that I I found recently was uh, some churches, you know, that are on there. Yeah. But what what all can someone find on that website? So the website, the, the purpose is uh, threefold. One, we want to help foster community uh, among African-Americans who self-identify as reform, uh, which doesn't mean we're exclusive. So if, mm-hmm. if you actually look at the people who write for the site, um, if you look on our Facebook profile, we have people from all across the, the spectrum as far as race and ethnicity, but we particularly wanted to make sure the folks like yourself, like me, like others, we could find each other. So, so that's one purpose of the website. Uh, a second purpose is to provide resources in the reform tradition. So if you're African American, most likely you didn't grow up reform. So you, somehow or other, you got turned on to it a little bit later in life, mm-hmm. which means that you may not know, you know, all the books, all the authors, all the pastors, all the churches, all the conferences and whatnot. Because in my experience, I discovered uh, Reformed Theology when a friend gave me a book by John Piper, uh, mm-hmm. Desiring God, which was great to read it. But then I was like, more. I don't I don't know where to go. <laughs> so I'm looking at footnotes and, mm-hmm. and, you know, bibliography and all this stuff, trying to just search, follow the breadcrumbs to, to, to discover more about this um, theology I appreciated so much. So what we want to do on the website is make sure that it's not that hard for people uh, to find more. So you'll find lists of colleges and seminaries that are, are in the Reformed tradition. You'll find um, uh, a few churches that are on there. You'll find uh, uh, we have something called the books the bookshelf, and you'll find dozens and dozens of books that address um, issues of race and ethnicity from a gospel perspective. So just, you know, a few little entryways to it. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, lastly, the third uh, purpose of the website is that with the blog, with the content we're producing, um, we want to continue to do theology in the 21st century and in contexts uh, that affect African Americans. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I uh, like I said that that's one of my frequent stops, man. I, is is you guys? I love the blogs. Um, and, and, and also the resources. I was fortunate, you know, to have, a my Facebook team that, that, uh, that's, you know, support this podcast and also our Facebook page, uh, two of the guys, actually, actually all the guys now are reformed and, and they, they helped guide me, man. And, um, and, 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 and pointed me in the right direction or whatever. So I guess one, uh, one question I wanted to ask or, or let's talk about, um, you know, almost when you type in Jamar Tisby name, you almost every time get something in relation to uh uh how to fix racism in the church, how to address racism in, racism <laughs> in the church, something of yep. that nature. You know, is it's connected yep. to your Google. So I guess let's talk about first how how did you become that guy? And then those that are listening that, because I have a, I do have a mixed audience, um, because locally, a lot of my buddies, you know, that are reformed that I hang with, they are white. So those that may be listening and may want, you know, you, you can, you can charge them later, but just give them like the 50 cent version. 
of, of how to address, you know, that issue because, you know, I, I got a little side note on this question. My dad always said, and I'm sure he got it from somewhere else. He said Sunday was the most segregated day of the year, you know, because, you know, all the blacks go to this church and all the whites go to this church. And it's just right. recent that people are wanting to bring that together and 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 want to know how and why. So I know that's kind of a loaded question, man. But you know, you take your time and chop your way through, or however you want to, man. And, and let, let's let's talk about that. Yeah, it's a big topic. Um, let, let me start with this. A lot of folks, a lot of African Americans or uh, racial and ethnic minorities in general, really push back against the idea of being pigeonholed. Um, in, in terms of race, like they can only talk about racial issues. They can't mm-hmm. talk about, you know, uh, biblical ideas of the family or systematic theology or what have you. Um, and, and that's valid, right? Like a lot of times in majority white spaces, uh, minorities will only get called on to give their voice and perspective specifically if it's about something concerning race and diversity. Mm-hmm. So that is something I think we need to um, pay attention to generally, right? Like if, if the only time you're hearing from a black or brown person is when it's about, uh, you know, an issue of racism or something of that nature, there's probably there's probably uh, something that you need to, to rethink around mm-hmm. those things because minorities certainly can talk about a broad spectrum of topics. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I sort of, intentionally made issues of race and diversity uh, my thing, if you will. It, it really wasn't a, a deliberate choice because if you're a minority, you're, you're faced with issues of racism, whether it be through microaggression, systemic racism, what have you. You're faced with that every day as a reality. So on some sense, it's already on uh, your radar. Right. However, um, in terms of the ministry and location, I really wanted to take that on uh, because, you know, really my background, I, I grew up in a nominally Christian household, but I became really a more faithful believer through the ministry of a predominantly white evangelical youth ministry. Mm. So, you know, I have a very conflicted relationship with evangelicalism, in, white evangelicalism, I mean, um, but I'm still very invested in it because it's really, you know, where I first grew up and found the faith. Right. So I want to help in any way I can, my white brothers and sisters in particular. Uh, so I don't mind being called on to talk about race, but that's not every black person. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a little bit about how and why I got into it. Um, what 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 were the other parts of your question? Well, I just um, you know, for those that are listening, because uh, I think probably one of the quick ones I've heard was on RTS, a uh, little quick segment on how to address the issue, um, and yep. and how to to how to address it, and then also how to I guess make it function, or what steps can people do to to make it work or, or make it better, whatever. Yeah. So I, I, I get probably the most frequent question I get, whether that's for pastors or lay persons, and it's usually from either white folks or black folks who are in majority white churches. They basically just ask, 
what do we do? Um, mm-hmm. and, and what they're really getting at is how can we be um, more diverse? Uh, whatever, you know, college, seminary, church, how do we get more <laughs> black and brown people, Asian people into our, our space that's majority white? And that's a great question. Um, and it's been asked so often that uh, I sort of categorized um, my recommendations into different boxes. Um, mm-hmm. And I call it the arc of racial reconciliation. And so that's an acronym. The A stands for awareness. The R stands for relationships. And the C stands for commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, under the awareness heading, that's all sort of the, the knowledge, the head knowledge that you need to begin to enter into conversations about race and hopefully move into practice that will dismantle uh, different forms of racism. Um, awareness encompasses, first and foremost, a biblical understanding of diversity and ethnicity. I don't know about other folks, but again, being in predominantly white church spaces, I didn't hear a whole lot from the pulpit about race and ethnicity from a biblical perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if if judging just by the sermons, you wouldn't know that God ever even thought about it. Right. Um, so, but he does, of course. And we all go to the Bible with questions. And when I started to go to the Bible with questions about race, ethnicity, diversity, um, I started to see all of these different passages, whether it's Genesis 1, 26 through 28, about the image of God in all people, Genesis 12, where God just promised to Abram that in him all the families of the earth would be blessed, whether it's uh, Psalms that are talking about um, different peoples um, worshiping God, Revelation, of course, beginning with the end in mind, Revelation 5, 9, and 7, 9, talking about um, a multitude from every people, tribe, language, and nation. Mm-hmm. So it's all over the Bible. So that's your first foundational understanding. But then I'm a, I'm a history guy. So I think one of the most important um, aspects of awareness has to do with America's racial history. And we have a terrible understanding of that, just an -hmm. extremely shallow, superficial, elementary understanding of it. And particularly, you know, if people want to get started, start with the Civil Rights Movement. I mean, that's only 50, 60 years ago. And a lot of people from that movement are still alive. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of folks, you know, if, if I live... In the Mississippi Delta, so like these things are have have happened geographically very near me. You know, take advantage of that and go learn about this nation's history, which still impacts the present day. Um, I'll be quick on the next two relationships. This is probably the easiest part um, for people to understand because that means getting to know someone who's different from you, right. and a lot of times. That's the thing that, that, that turns the key for people is that when you can put a face on it, when, when there's a personality attached to issues of racism in America, it, it, it brings it home to you in a personal way. So it's not just a news story you see. It's not just something you're reading about in a book. No, there's actual real life person you care about who's being affected by this. And so how do we continue to foster those relationships across racial, ethnic, class, cultural lives? And then lastly, commitment. And this is 
in some ways the most important part. Um, a lot of people will take on the awareness and try to educate themselves. Uh, a lot of people will even take the step of, within their circles, trying to, you know, get to know people who are different than they are. Mm-hmm. But very few people will begin to um, have the commitment, which is a lifelong disposition of anti-racism. Mm-hmm. And that means not only am I, you know, being nice to people on an interpersonal basis, but I'm actually actively dismantling systems and policies uh, that would perpetuate exclusion and marginalization based on uh, race or ethnicity. So those are the, those are kind of the big boxes. And there's lots of practical steps people can take, but it, it really depends on your context. Gotcha. Uh, and so what's your PayPal so they can send you? I'm just, I'm just playing. <laughs> for real for real i know there is right? a donate page on uh there is a donate page on the on the website right right this yeah. stuff ain't free i know that's right i know that's right but that's good actually um i think uh i might have listened to one of uh, your i can't remember what conference it was where you went through the the art man and um and that's that's really interesting and very uh i guess relevant for me today I, I literally you know the meeting that i had before this was with a uh a, a local pastor uh white guy and um and it was it was a uh, you know uh one of my members you know told me about your show you know i want to get to know you you know sometimes you know so um yeah. i i think that you know I think the culture in itself, you know, we, I mean, of course we always, we got a long way to go, but I think the fact that we're asking now, I think that's a, a plus, you know what I'm saying? Do you agree with that? It's a plus. Uh, it's a plus and, and I think there's a push. Mm-hmm. And so the push, particularly for African Americans, is not to let ourselves be satisfied with relationships and conversation. Mm, gotcha. um, in a sense, that's going to be comfortable for people in the majority. Mm-hmm. You know, now, now why they may have to initially overcome some hurdles to talk to someone who's different, it really is not that much of a commitment to sit down and have a cup of coffee with somebody and have mm-hmm. a conversation. I mean, that's mm-hmm. good. Like I said, for a lot of people, that's the turning point when they when they can put a a, a face and a name mm-hmm. to an issue. However, that's not enough. So, so you know, it's necessary but not sufficient, as the gotcha. saying goes. Okay. So we got to have those relationships, but, you know, and my heart is just heavy, particularly for, like, young African Americans who are in predominantly white institutions. Um, they, they get really encouraged because, you know, now the pastor's talking to them or, you mm-hmm. know, they, they had a panel discussion about it. I'm like, that's good. But, you know, there are things, there are systemic things in place, whether where the church is located geographically, um, whether uh, what what are the standards for ordination, whether, um, uh, you know, do do the church activities require X amount of money or Mm -hmm. car transportation or whatever. There are lots of different issues that we've got to approach from a, a policy and a practice standpoint, and we just can't stop with, you know, cups of coffee. Gotcha. Yeah, that that's that makes sense. That makes sense. It definitely, you know, it takes more effort 
to uh, really apply and stick and, and, and keep it moving. Um, but, you know, you kind of see that in, in anything, you know. You, you, Absolutely. You can't just, just start it. You got to pick it up and run with it, man. That's awesome. Um, and, and you know, I, I loved your, your video in the, uh, in the cotton field, man. That was, that was <laughs> awesome. Uh, I'm from the country myself, man, so I I wow. know what that is. I know what that's like, brother. Um, but we yeah. were blessed to have a, a cotton, uh, the one that picks itself. So <laughs> that's good. That's good. <laughs> we so, didn't have so to take a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we didn't have to go through that labor, man. But but I, I thought that was powerful, man. Um, just just you know putting a a image uh i guess with you know what what you were saying and, and what they had to deal with um with that you know i um the the whole social uh situation i know i can't remember the exact quote but you know about the the social issues and the gospel um what what's the relation um i i think i've heard your you know your thought on it but i want you to tell those that uh that are listening that may not have heard that um what's the relation between you know the the social side and, and the actual gospel you know it is it, a great question and and really even the distinction itself that there would be social issues and gospel issues is mm-hmm. in some ways problematic right yeah. um which is the whole point like basically Historically speaking, what white Christians would do to avoid, uh, you know, issues of race, whether that's abolishing slavery or um, uh, encouraging integration, racial integration, what they would do to skirt around those issues is say, you know what, uh, the church is a spiritual institution, mm-hmm. and those race issues are social, civic governmental issues. So we don't get into all that. We're just going to stick to the gospel, quote unquote, mm-hmm. which in their minds meant all you do is evangelize, get people converted, and the more people convert, the better they'll behave, and then you won't have problems with them. Well, it doesn't quite work like that because um, the culture of the day, and I would argue even today it persists to some degree, is that you know, the racial status quo, which centers whiteness, is okay. And even if people don't consciously think that, it's so ingrained in our society that it's invisible. And so we continue to have what Michael Emerson and Christian Smith in their book, Divided by Faith, call a racialized society, where any of the major quality of life issues, you talk about health, you talk about education, you talk about mortality, you talk about uh, wealth, Mm-hmm. All of those things can be divided along racial lines, even to this day, where white wealth uh, is 11 times that of, of blacks. Right. Um, and it shouldn't fall along the color line that neatly. So the point is, those things don't go away just by preaching the gospel. However, in the predominantly white church, what they've done is to label those kinds of issues, whether it's racism, slavery, systemic racism, as social issues, and therefore outside of the purview of church, so pastors don't address it in sermons, so they mm-hmm. don't equip people in Sunday school or Wednesday night studies, um, and and that just perpetuates the problem. So what 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 we're seeing today, and what I think Reformed theology is especially equipped to do because it's so robust, 
is to tackle the fact that sin works itself out not only interpersonally, individual to individual, but sin can actually function within institutions and systems. Mm-hmm. And if it's mm-hmm. an issue of sin, then we're supposed to be um, ambassadors for Christ, and we're supposed to be cities on a hill, then we need to tackle sin wherever it may be found, including and foremost with our own churches. So right. let's not artificially separate mm-hmm. issues of race and society, because to the extent that um, the gospel deals with relationships, then all issues are social issues. Right. Yeah. See, I, I knew that, but I just wanted you to break that down. To, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you could yeah. probably do it a lot better and a lot more briefly than I just did. But yeah. Well, well, it, no, 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 no. I mean, you know, I, I that's why I asked it the way that I did because it, it was one of your 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 videos where you know you explain why it wasn't separated. You know, it was it's a right. joint issue. You know, so. That's why it was a little bit, uh, uh, what they call it, baiting right there, just to make sure <laughs> it's you, all good. All you explained good. it, yes, sir, yes, sir. So, um, you know, being that guy, and and also, you know, uh, uh, very very well known for, you know, these issues. Um, one thing that we see, uh, and I will say. Because you know I, I'm different, man. I mean, you you probably can tell that over the phone, man. I'm just I'm just not your typical dude. So <laughs> I would say this has been happening, but now it is mainstream. Um, right. You know, with the uh, the the I'll say infamous you know shootings that are mm-hmm. you know handpicked mainstream. Because like 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 I said, we we all know this has been happening, but now it's it's a it's a media thing. Um, I guess how would you instruct the church to respond? Because you know you know and I know we're both social media guys. You know the 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 uproar that happens, the 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 emotion, the 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 conclusion jumping, the you know from one extreme to the next. Um, how would you, I guess, instruct or, or you know, those that may be listening? Because we even did a show on this, you know, a while back. I'm sure you guys did, too. Um, but just as these things come up, because they've always been going on. And, you know, yeah. and, and as they cycle, when the next one cycles, what would be your advice to those, you know, that that are that I guess how to face this kind of tragedy or, or whatever? I would say the first thing is just to do something as opposed to not doing anything. Mm-hmm. And so people can have different reasons for not taking action, uh, particularly around racial issues. One is because they're racist and they don't think they need to take action. They think the status quo is just fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, my guess is that more and more people, it's less of that and much more a sense of either ignorance they're not aware that these things are going on, but like you're saying, it's becoming mainstream, so that's getting harder to claim. Uh, but I think the third reason is the most prevalent, which is simply people don't know what to do, especially if you're white. You, 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 you see these things happening, you know it's important, but it's so new and it's so different that you just feel paralyzed by your lack of knowledge. And right. I would say, okay, 
you still have to do something. <laughs> um, even if the first step is becoming aware. So like you said, these things have been happening. Well, guess what? That's still news for a lot of people. <laughs> that's like that's like groundbreaking and earth shattering and paradigm shifting for some folks because when you're in the majority and you see a racially charged incident, whether that's a police shooting or an urban uprising or something, you think it's an isolated incident, whereas many African Americans and minorities see a pattern, see a long history of it. And so there are a lot of people who need to understand through study that this has been happening for a mm -hmm. very long time and it continues to happen. Uh, from there, though, you know, it's hard to recommend prescriptive steps because every environment is so different. The steps right. I might take in the deep south are going to be very different than somebody might do <laughs> in the northwest because they're dealing with different dynamics. Mm -hmm. um, however, I can say, and I say this because partly because it's fresh on my mind, I just spoke with Dr. Sun Chan Ra, who is the author of uh, several books. Two of the most well-known of his are uh, the Next Evangelicalism, which was published mm -hmm. in 2009, basically saying uh, evan evangelicalism is no longer European, North American, and white. Rather, it's South American, African, Asian, and all different shades of colors and all different ethnicities. That's the 21st century form of evangelicalism, and we better get ready. That's mm -hmm. a great book. He wrote another book more recently in 2015 called prophetic lament hmm. and that's where i think we need to start um he goes through the book of lamentation and he views mm -hmm. it from the perspective of justice and what l lament really is is anguish over injustice it's mm -hmm. also a cry out for justice to be done and in the bible congregations the israelites um the people of god would practice corporate lament, and they would weep over things that they had done. They would weep over the things that others had done. And I mm -hmm. think that's where we need to start as a church. We need to remember and sometimes learn for the first time how to grieve together in a, mm -hmm. in a godly way, which is, which is called lament. So right. I would you know, look at prayers of lament. How can we say those prayers in church? How can we, mm -hmm. as congregations practice lamenting together because if we don't first weep with those who weep, if we don't first acknowledge that there's pain and suffering in the world, even if we have different perspectives on mm -hmm. where that comes from or how to fix it, we'll never really be able to move forward together as a church or a society. So I would say mm -hmm. lamenting in a biblical way is probably the first step all of us can take. Wow. Yeah, that's I totally agree, man. Um, and, and, you know, I guess with me, it's, uh, it's the whole image of God, you know? Um, yep. and, and no matter the situation, it's a life loss, you know? Um, yep. and, 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 you know, that, that's kind of my, I guess my take on it. Um, because, you know, there are some that, you know, look at it situational, um, or, you know, you know, you don't have all the evidence or, you know, whatever, yeah. but, but I guess for me, I, I take it as a life loss, but, um, I, I'm hesitant to anger. And that's what the scripture tells us, you know, be slow to anger. You know, I'm, I'm hesitant personally to be upset, 
you know, um, first I lament and then, you know, the, I guess, and, and, you know, for whatever reason, maybe it's just my, my, my demeanor, my personality. I don't, I don't uh, uh, immediately become outraged, I guess is, is what I'm saying. You know, so, right. you know, yeah, I get what you're saying. One of the things, and I think what you're talking about is different, but one of the things that I, um, am coming to learn is that as minorities, we're so used to, um, responding to the needs of the majority mm. that sometimes we actually don't do service to our own emotions, don't mm. do justice to our own emotions. So for instance, you know, when minorities get mad, they call, you know, you're the angry black man or you're the angry <laughs> black woman. They right. label you as like, this is your permanent, why are you so mad? Why can't we just have a reasonable conversation about this? You don't know all of that, all that stuff. When what that is, is a failure on the part of the majority to realize that whatever thing just happened is not the first time it's happened. Right, um, right. Whether we've experienced it personally, whether we know someone, or whether it's just happened to us throughout history, the mm -hmm. anger is justified. Mm -hmm. And I've got to say, I mean, the anger is justified. How could we not, how could any human being, let alone African Americans, how could any human being not be justifiably angered and upset at centuries, I'm talking centuries of oppression. I was just reading a book that I recommend to all your listeners called mm -hmm. The Peculiar Institution Slavery in the Antebellum South by Kenneth M. Stamp with two mm -hmm. Ps. This book is published in 1956. He had, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a raw sort of unflinching look at the actual practice of slavery. And the reason why Kenneth Stamp had to write this book is because there was a narrative that had prevailed since the Civil War that slavery was somehow overall a benevolent institution. Mm. <laughs> wow. What America thought, I'm talking about America, white America thought that African people were somehow naturally inclined towards servitude, uh, that they were less intelligent, that they needed to be and that white people not only were uniquely suited to govern them, but did so in a friendly sort of paternalistic, uh, you know, I'm a parent caring for a child type mm -hmm. of way. Mm -hmm. So he had to write a book that said, no, slavery was brutal. It was ugly. It was bloody. It took its, its, its toll on actual human bodies and human beings. Mm-hmm. And the very fact that somebody has to explain that, and that in 2016, we're still explaining, if not just slavery, the reality of racism, segregation, Jim Crow, all of those things and their deleterious effects, that's something to be angry about. So I just want to encourage minorities, especially African Americans, if you're mad, be mad. That doesn't, the Bible says in your anger, do not sin. Right. But it doesn't say don't get angry. Right. And that's like I said. I'm I, I'm not saying this is what you're saying. Um, mm -hmm. but I've encountered many African Americans who feel the need to sort of tamp down their feelings, and I'm like, no, right, right. Those feelings need to be shown because it's 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 an affront against God and His creation, mm -hmm. and it's mm -hmm. okay to be upset. Um, right. You know, not reflexively or reactively. Uh, but as you filter 
current events through the grid of scripture, it's okay to get mad. And the reality is the problem is not you being mad. The problem is that other people aren't mad mm. and they aren't doing something about it. So that's just a little soapbox. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No problem, man. No problem. You know, and, and I would say, you know, just being transparent, you know, the my reaction uh, probably it, it, it probably is a I guess a re a reaction or a a I guess you can say spinoff of, you know, people that that I'm close to that that don't get mad. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, people that that I, I I'm. I guess close to, or, you know, uh, uh, follow. And, 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 and it seems as if they, they may be, like you said, downplaying the emotion of your own, you know, while, you know, being on the side of the majority. Um, so that, that's definitely something I will, uh, personally, you know, look into. Um, and, 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 and I, I definitely, definitely uh, agree with you on that, you know, with, with the brutalness of it, um, definitely, is a place for it, uh, like you Here's said. Here's the thing. I mean, and and, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm speaking mainly to African Americans, mm-hmm. really, but it applies to any minority. Um, we're so used to dealing with the effect of racism on white people, mm-hmm. and I don't mean that in a, in a mean way at all. But what I mean by that is, in a way, we're so used to walking on eggshells about race so that white people don't feel uncomfortable, uh, that, that we forget the pain and the hurt that it's causing toward black people and other minorities. And my mm-hmm. concern is that even as, particularly as Christians, right, you, you don't want to offend unnecessarily, uh, uh, kindness is the, is a fruit of the spirit. Uh, we got to exercise those things. But I think as Christians, we can take it too far because there were definitely times when Jesus was okay offending people for the sake of mm-hmm. the truth. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to have a healthy wisdom about that and not be so concerned that our white brothers and sisters are getting upset that we actually back off from something that's justifiable something that right. is is truth telling um that's good you know what i'm saying and and i've i've had to deal with this i've had to go through this uh and i'm still trying to you know make sure that i have a, a my antenna up for when i'm doing it is that mm-hmm. in focusing so much on making white people comfortable with an inherently uncomfortable conversation we lose the fact that Racism continues to have very negative impacts on minorities. And so we continue to overlook minorities, which actually perpetuates the white centeredness of our society. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's good stuff, man. Definitely good stuff. Um, well, while we in this vein, brother, and uh, we mentioned this last time, we have a uh, very, I'll say, peculiar <laughs> election coming up. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Um, yeah, yeah. So I guess my question to you um, would be, I guess, 
first, maybe how important is this election uh, in, in your in your in your mind, in your eyes? This election is very important because if Donald Trump gets elected, uh, we're 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 in for an extremely disruptive time in our nation's history. And, and, and that gets to sort of the core of my view of this election is mm-hmm. too many folks are making a false equivalency that Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump are, are, are two kinds of equally bad candidates. Mm-hmm. And whatever you think about Hillary Clinton, I don't think she's the kind of bad candidate in the way that Donald Trump is. Uh, I mean, when mm-hmm. you've got a candidate who emboldened white supremacists and groups like the KKK, that's a different brand of bad politician. When you've got a guy who says you can grab women by their you-know-what and they'll love it because <laughs> you're rich, that's a different mm. brand of bad politician. When you've got a guy who questions the judgment of a judge simply because he has a Mexican heritage, that's a different kind of bad politician. And I'm just not here for this idea that, you know, both um, Hillary and Donald are bad in the same way. You may not like either of them, and that's cool. Mm-hmm. But don't tell me that a Trump presidency um, would be the same, and just bad in different ways as, as a Clinton or someone else president. Does that make sense? Gotcha. Yeah, actually, it does. It, it actually does make sense. Uh, and I, I've never looked at it like that, but, you know, just the characteristics, um, definitely. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, so, you know, uh, I guess with the whole, uh, uh, worldview thing, um, and, and what we may agree and disagree with the candidates, what, you know, uh, I guess my question would be, do you think it's a Christian's duty to vote? Do you think that is that is something that that they are required to do or should do or I mean not should but you know they I'm trying to make ask it in a way to you know do you think hey every Christian should vote because they are a Christian do you feel like that I don't think you can make a biblical case for that no mm-hmm. um I think it's I think it's a freedom of conscience thing so I don't mm-hmm. think it's a, a, a biblical requirement. I do, however, think it's a privilege of citizenship that we ought mm-hmm. to default toward voting. Um, mm. There should, you know, there should definitely be cases where one might consider abstaining, and this mm-hmm. election is case in point. I get that. <laughs> um, I would not say, though, on the basis of one's Christianity that you are required to vote. Not at all. Gotcha. However, I do say, (laughs) from a historical perspective, and even the present day, they are repealing Voting Rights Act, which are policies put in place from a legal standpoint to make sure that the poor and minorities were able to freely exercise their responsibility and privilege of voting. Um, Mm. So from a historical context, people fought long and hard and literally died for African-Americans in particular to get the right to vote. And I think we should take that seriously. Right. Yeah. That's the, that's the, 
that's the one that's the speech that my dad always gives about you know the people you know <laughs> you know head yeah they know yeah yeah that's that's the one that he always give you know because you know at certain times you know i i mean just just being real because this is this is my show I, i've abstained and 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 still debating about that and uh you know to to the old heads man that's just like bro too many people and then you know i'm i'm that's me man you know i i drive i I drive my own ship you know i try not to be a follower but i I do appreciate you you know uh uh explaining that because I, i listened to a podcast recently that was saying that it was a christian's duty and they really stretch some scripture to <laughs> to make it yeah, fit around you got that because it's not <laughs> <laughs> make it fit around that idea man um so you know well, as we a, go ahead i mean we're it's a dual citizenship thing right we're citizens of, mm-hmm. of heaven and we're citizens of the world in in the sense of the the nation and so mm-hmm. sometimes uh we're always a citizen of the heavenly kingdom first. Right. But that doesn't negate our responsibility as citizens of the nation. However, there are going to be times when um, the requirements of citizenship, that is to be the requirements to be a Christian and the requirements to be an American citizen, sometimes those values will conflict. And mm. when it comes to voting, I think Christians have great liberty of conscience to decide mm-hmm. when their kingdom citizenship has to uh, override in a way or um, will prevent them from exercising some of their you know, nation or national citizenship responsibilities. And I think that's fair and valid, and that's a discussion we could have, but it's not something to break fellowship over, and it's not right. a topic in the church that we should be afraid to, to have some diversity on. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, I've you know in the in the past I've just noticed it. You know, give me people people unfollow me or you know <laughs> all kind of stuff happened <laughs> over that. Um, and it, it's so funny. I always tell this story. My dad's church was on the way to New York, and this was probably 2008. Um, and and I expressed you know possibly abstaining or whatever. And on the church van, that was the discussion. And my dad called me like, boy, you yeah. better stop talking about that, boy. These people talking about <laughs> thinking about, I was like, my bad, man, you know, because you don't, you don't know your influence sometimes, but right, right, I just, right. I just, that, that always is a, you know, it'll, it'll split you up in a minute, man. Um, you know, I, I, this is so good, man. And I, but I, I don't like to keep my shows too long. So I'm going to get ready to wrap this up. But, uh, one, I guess one more, I wouldn't say hardball or whatever, but one more, uh, 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 serious question is, um, do you see a, I guess you can say resurgence or a, a push for more African Americans, uh, into reform theology? And then what do you think? What what do you think is the cause of that? Cause I get that question a lot. Actually, Todd Friel was on and, and it turned into his interview. He was asking me all kind of questions. But do, do you see a a I guess a a boost in that? Because you know, I, I, through the internet, it seems that way. And then, what do you what do you think may be the cause of that? And I know that's kind of a loaded question, but you know, just break it down the best way you want to. 
I think similar to what you were saying about, you know, racial incidents and whatnot, it's always been there, but now it's sort of more public and prominent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the things that we have to be very careful of as African-Americans who, who do identify as reform is not to denigrate the traditionally black church, mm-hmm. um, which can happen inadvertently when we assume that no black churches or most black churches don't have good theology mm-hmm. because it's not quote-unquote reformed. When the reality is um, there are certainly ways of teaching the Bible that wouldn't clearly be identified as reformed, and that the reformed theology we're speaking of is sort of formal um, Mm -hmm. in the sense that it it uses particular terms and frameworks to organize, uh, make sense of the Bible, but you can still have those same teachings and not use the same labels. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you know, when when folks say uh, God sits high and He looks low, right down <laughs> the theology of that, right? When right. That's right. About that's God's sovereignty, right? That's mm-hmm. saying that that here's an omniscient God who, uh, because of His power and His knowledge, nothing's happening that He doesn't know about. Exactly. That's a very reformed theological principle right there. But so it's true. using different words to articulate the same thing. So I think what we have to do is have the right ears and the right lenses to recognize that reformed theology is and has always been part of the black church. Mm-hmm. Also to dignify and honor the black church because somehow folks still get saved. So mm-hmm. I don't care what you call it, uh, the Spirit of God is still at work in the church, uh, whether that's mm-hmm. a predominantly black, white church that's reformed or a predominantly black church that doesn't use the label. However, getting to your question, yeah, I think there's a there's an upsurge of folks who would use those labels in those terms. Mm-hmm. Um, I would trace this partially back to 2006 with the, um, the formation of Reach Records and Christian mm-hmm. hip-hop becoming much more popular. But yes. Christian hip-hop has been around for a while, but had a resurgence in, um, you know, 2006 and beyond with, with rappers like The Craig who started it, Trip Lee, KB, um, all those folks who were part of it. And then, you know, now you got other labels like, like, like Humble Beast and Lamp Mode and all that. What that's mm-hmm. done is to put reformed theological principles into a form that African Americans, particularly folks who've grown up in the city, they can really attach to. So, mm-hmm. I think that's played a big part. I also think even the rise of predominantly white reformed organizations, for instance, like the Gospel Coalition, that's actually right. helped to spread um, reformed teachings among African Americans. Uh, podcasts and whatnot. I, I can't tell you how many black folks I know who have been turned on to reformed theology by old white dudes. Whether it's, oh, yeah. Uh, John Piper, R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, you know, folks are listening. So, yeah, it's there. Um, I think social media has a big part of it. I think music has a big part of it. Uh, I think blogging and and the Internet is a big part of it. Uh, So, yeah, we're seeing that. And I think what is happening is God is raising up minority leaders for the American church, Mm -hmm. which has never been the case on a broad basis. Um, minorities have always been leaders in their own religious spaces. 
But right. now we're going to start to see minorities be religious leaders for people of all kinds of races and ethnicities on a public, national, prominent level. Hmm. Yeah, that's good, man. You know, um, that's that's you know part of the, one of the ways that I came in was the music. You know, Shaolin. Um, you yeah. know that 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 when it, the doctor the election when he hit that song election man I was like yeah man. oh that's it <laughs> <laughs> like I can't deny it anymore <laughs> right and it was so funny it man yeah it was so funny man I, I was uh, inboxing my cousin man and um and he was he was asking what's reform theology blah, blah blah you know so I'm sending him links and videos and I was like wait a minute. Here, check this song out. <laughs> <I was like, laughs> give me four minutes. I give it right, minutes. right, right. So the song, and it was like after the song. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> like he won't That's try it. to hear all the other stuff, but yeah, I, well, I definitely. Hip hop is, is, and Sabidi Anya put it well. He's like, you know, hip hop is uniquely equipped to talk about theology because it's so lyrically driven. And you can say mm-hmm. so much in such mm-hmm. a short amount of time. So, yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all that a song like that would be so persuasive because he's actually doing a lot of rich theology, um, mm-hmm. particularly because this form hip hop is is well suited for it. So, yeah, that's, that's great to hear, man. Oh yeah, most definitely, man. All right, man. So, um, two things I always like to do with my guests. Uh, Number one is uh, I, I like to to know what you're listening to, or uh, like if 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 I was to grab your podcast, you know your pod, uh, your iPod phone or whatever, like get an iPhone, and what would be like the, your go to when it comes to music, you know, whether it's uh, secular or spiritual, what would be what what what's on your playlist? Yeah, man, that's that's. That's easy. I love music. Um, one is going to be kind of funny, but I'm listening to the Jason Bourne soundtrack from the movie. <laughs> um, it's it's all instrumental, so I use it while I'm studying. Um, okay, okay. It's, yeah, it's you can make me look that up, man. <laughs> John Powell is the uh, the, the composer, and uh, uh-huh. yeah, I've, I've been listening to that all semester. Um, the other three, I'm listening to the uh, Lounge Knowles. A seat mm-hmm. at the table mm-hmm. on repeat. I'm listening to um, uh, uh, the narrative by Show Baraka mm-hmm. just came mm-hmm. out. Yeah, that's tight. And I'm yeah, so I and and I'm listening to uh, Fred Hammond's latest live album. Okay, that's pretty diverse, man. I love it. Hey, this has got a beat. I'm on. <laughs> it. That's what's up. So as far as uh, 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 podcast sermons. Uh, is there somebody or anybody that you check out? Uh, either you know, frequent or you know. Uh, yeah. I mean, as far as pastors, I listen to my local pastor a whole lot. Uh, of which course, I can't emphasize enough. Of course, um, in this day of podcast, and then but but uh, further away, I listen to uh, Eric Mason um, mm-hmm. in, in Philadelphia. Um, as, as well as a few others, but honestly, I'm 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 a PhD student in history, and so I'm listening to a lot of scholars, a lot of podcasts about history, a lot of seminars that have been recorded at conferences, and I find that that really helps me understand 
American history and particularly race from a different perspective. Because honestly, mm-hmm. secular folk have, have done a lot of good work in these areas that, that Christians need to catch up to. So, gotcha. Okay, that's cool, man. Yeah, I like I like Eric Mason too. I actually heard him uh, in person one time. Um, yeah, good good dude, man. Man, good stuff. So, uh, but this is this is my my favorite. I want from you, man. I want you to let your circle know about the bar, man. And 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 I would love like like I don't know how to get up with uh, uh Anthony Carter. I would love to have him. So I don't know if you got his number, man. Tell him to holler. <laughs> Tell him to holler at me, man. Yeah, because because his book was one of the ones that 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 pretty much locked it down. Um, yeah, on being um, black and reformed. Yes, yes, that yes, was me too. that was the icing on the cake, man. You know, um. So, like I said, man, that that that'll be my one favor I want from you. But <laughs> in closing, um, whatever, I uh, give you a couple minutes to to speak to my folks and just you know whatever you want to say, you know, encourage any recos, any promos. I'm always down for that. Always, you know, anything you want to put out there, man, the floor is yours. Well, I mean, I know folks are getting sick of listening to my voice. I'm getting sick of me. So the best way to continue the conversation is to visit the website I mentioned at the top of the podcast, ramnetwork.org. Follow us on social media. We're at Ram Network, RAA Network. Um, follow the podcast on social media at underscore past the mic. Subscribe to the podcast. I recommend Satchel as the app. If you look up Satchel Podcast Player, then you can make a donation directly to uh, the ministry in $1 increments. So it's a way to support podcasters who, who are doing this thing. And you, you, you get access to any podcast you want to subscribe to through it, not just ours. Um, other than that, you know, listen to the show, visit the website, read the blog. We have a Facebook group, a private Facebook group called Pass the Bike. So if you look that up in uh, Facebook, you can request access. And we have constant conversation, constant conversations about um, race, diversity, politics, you name it, from a gospel perspective. And it's civil. It's not going to be like, you know, getting into arguments with some random person over social media. Uh, that's the reason why it's a private group, so we can kind of monitor the conversation. So I would just point them to those online resources and, uh, and of course, this podcast. Appreciate that, brother. Yes, sir. Well, we we are very, very, very grateful that you took time out of your busy schedule, sir. And um want to remind everybody. Oh, well, actually, before I get into that, you got to let me know what that that we say factual podcast. I need to get that dollar, man. I'm I'm tripping. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Satchel, S A T C H E L. It's uh, it, it was developed by our producer Bo York, and uh, it's it's hot, man. Check that out, Satchel Podcast. Place. Yes, sir. I'm gonna have to. Yeah, I need that dollar. Y'all hear me at that radio world. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, man, uh, we appreciate you guys joining us for the bar. Uh, make sure you check us out on Facebook. Uh, this is a spinoff from my group on Facebook uh, called Be Not Deceived. You can just search this Be Not Deceived. Also on Twitter, BND Truth 2012. Holler at us. Make sure you go and write a review. 
go and give me five stars because you love me. And make sure you tell a family member and a friend. But uh, that's all we got tonight. God bless you. We out. The Bar. Biblical and Reforming. For those of us who claim Christ, our authority is the scripture. For those who don't claim Christ or who claim another, I'd like for them to, we challenge them to explain a standard of truth apart from scripture. Uh, explain the nature of good and evil apart, apart from the scripture. Um, that there, there's, you, you have no context, there's no justification for it except for the whims of, of, man, of, you know, of men. And so, man, we, we stand upon the foundation of the scripture, sola scriptura, scripture alone, man. Doctrine. Yeah, sola scriptura. Scripture. scripture alone. Yeah, that means scripture alone. What's your eternal situation for the age of creation? For he laid the foundation. Was a plan for expiation? Christ became propitiation. Meaning, he switched his places on the cross for our disgraces. In the crowd, he saw our faces. Yes. What's up, bar listeners? It's finally here. The bar exclusive content. Yes, that's right. You can sign up to receive exclusive content as low as $2 a week or $5 a month, $50 for the year to get exclusive content. What is the exclusive content? I'm glad you asked. The exclusive content is additional information from my guests, extra time with them and like the green moon setting, laid back, them asking me questions, I ask them questions, and also the Facebook group. You get an invitation to the Facebook group where we will have discount codes for the bar gear and many many more make sure you sign up the links in the show notes join the vip inside the bar group and we'll see you there